0: We have been um, going through our Advent time, our Christmas time, uh, looking at Old Testament passages. We started with Psalm 22, and then we moved to uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 40 last week. And this week, I also want to look at another passage in Isaiah. Last year, I did, I spoke on the themes of Advent, uh, joy and hope and peace and love, and uh, this year, I just felt inspired to go back through some of the prophetic writings uh, of David and Isaiah and some of the prophets, and to look uh, at the coming of the Messiah, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying it. I've been, I've actually been blessed just doing the study, and uh, and uh, enjoying it myself. So just humor me and tell me that you've been enjoying it, right? You're with me, right? Yeah. Um, good, good stuff. Uh, I read this true story this week about this guy. His name was Greg Howe, and Greg lives in London, England, a little community outside of London, I think, and uh, he, he wanted to do up Christmas really big. So he decided that he was going to buy a 35-foot Christmas tree. It was a monster. Uh, I, I looked at some of the pics online, and you can, you can Google them and look at the pictures. They're hilarious. He, he had like a, like a little mini Cooper, okay, and with a giant trailer hauling a 35-foot tree behind it, down these narrow London streets. It was hilariously awesome. And uh, anyway, he... He got the the tree finally to his house, but here's the deal. Where are you gonna put a 35-foot tree? And his house is only 30 feet tall. So he decides, he had it all planned out. It took him about two or three days with a couple of buddies, and they made this work. He cut the tree into three equal parts, and he installed them on different levels of his house. So the bottom part is like in his living room, uh, and the middle part is in a bedroom, and the top part he actually installed on the roof. And so the whole idea was that from the outside at night, it's an optical illusion. You, you, you're standing outside his house at night, and all the lights come on, and it looks like the tree is going right through his ceilings, right through his floors, and shooting up right through his roof. So it's, it was really cool. Uh, put that pick up for me. This is the best pick I could find. I know it's kind of hard to see, but you see, you see the tree on the first level and the second level and then shooting out the top, and uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was his idea, and he did it. I only can imagine uh, the mess that he was going to have to <laughs> clean up at the end. I, could you imagine? The needles will be everywhere all over his house, but, but he did it, and he went big, so uh, I, I I, uh, I wanted to show you that picture because I want to look at Isaiah chapter 11 today. And Isaiah 11 talks about a shoot or a branch uh, that, that grows out of an old stump. That's what Isaiah is talking about. And he, he, it, it actually becomes a powerful tree. Um, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 11, it'll be on the screen. And uh, it says this. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor And make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. And one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt. And truth like an undergarment. And in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear, and the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. It's a pretty cool passage of scripture again. The prior chapters uh, give us some sense of background about what's going on during this time that Isaiah is writing these words. God's people, Judah had rebelled against the Lord and the Lord was using Assyria to exercise punishment on them. They were being conquered by the Assyrians and being taken away as captives. But because of their pride, because of their arrogance, because of, of, of their own wickedness, the God decides that he's going to punish the Assyrians as well. So both, both, uh, both uh, the people of Israel... And the Assyrians are going to get chopped down. And he describes them being chopped down like trees. Look at Isaiah 10:12. It says, after the Lord had, has used the king of Assyria to accomplish his purposes on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will turn against the king of Assyria and punish him, for he is proud and arrogant. Uh, jump to verse 33. It says, but look... The Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies will chop down the mighty tree of Assyria with great power. He will cut down the proud. That lofty tree will be brought down. He will cut down the forest trees with an axe. Lebanon will fall to the mighty one. And so I told you last week that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah basically are a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of punishment. There's a lot of... Uh, Disobedience. There's a lot of captivity-type stuff, and then in Isaiah chapter 40, that we looked at last week, the whole book begins to turn. But here, this there's this little nugget of hope in the midst of darkness, and that's Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 10, that we just read, it leaves us with the idea that God has chopped down both the Jews and the Assyrians like they were mighty trees. He's going to move his axe like through a forest and just chop them all down. And now in, in, in chapter 11 that we just read, he says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. This new branch will grow. It will produce fruit and become a big giant thing. Jesus did come, of course, we know, in the line of David. And, and, but here's the thing, when Isaiah... Isaiah is saying these words, and by the time Jesus shows up, David's royal line had laid dormant for, for about 600 years. And now, a new live branch was going to come from a dead old stump. Yes, judgment had come to the people for their sin, but now God is going to use them to bring hope to the world. That something good was going to come out of something that looked like it was dead. Something that was chopped down, still has the life of God in it. Jesus isn't going to come in a flashy way. He's not going to come in a royal way. He's not not going to come in a way that they were anticipating or even wanted, but he's going to come in the way that God wanted him to. And that was in humility, in obscurity, that very few people saw the root that was growing out of the dead stump. Isaiah 11 verse 2, put that up for me. I wanted to just camp on this verse just for a second, because it's a really interesting verse and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So just leave that up for a second. This branch that comes from the dead stump, it's not just a little bit alive. It's not just barely alive. It's not just something that's struggling to survive. No. This branch is full of the Spirit of the Lord. This branch is powerful. This branch is undefeatable. This is something that is going to be significant and big. First, he says, uh, well, actually, it says the Messiah. They use seven things here, uh, and you see it in Revelation, the sevenfold Spirit of God. Seven is a number that's used in the Bible to to refer to uh, completeness or fullness or perfection. And here they, they say the Messiah has seven aspects of the Spirit. He has, first, the Spirit of the Lord. So it's not, it's not a false spirit. It's not just a, a human uh, charismatic type spirit. It's not an evil spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be upon Jesus, the Messiah. He will have the Spirit of Wisdom and Jesus showed time and time again uh, his wisdom in dealing with people. He was perfectly wise in everything he did. And, and you see it time and time again. In fact, Paul makes this reference in 1 Corinthians 1, 30. He says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. And for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Isn't that interesting? God made us right with God, and he made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. So not only, he's not just having the spirit of wisdom upon him, but he is wisdom, Paul says. And and this is who he is. Um, He he will have the spirit of understanding, uh, Isaiah says, that Jesus, we know, understood all things. He, He understands us perfectly. Hebrews 4, 15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do yet he did not sin. So there's nothing that he doesn't understand. There's nothing that he doesn't relate to. There's nothing that that he doesn't have deep insight to. The spirit of understanding is upon him. He also says he has the spirit of counsel. He's the perfect counselor. And and this is is why. He has the wisdom and the understanding. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if you have perfect wisdom and perfect understanding... It leads to perfect counsel. You know what I'm saying? This is a man that you need to listen to. Listen to what he says. Listen, 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 and do what he says to do. This is a man who gets it. He has the spirit of counsel. He's a perfect counselor. He says, five, he says he's the spirit of might. He will have the spirit of might. So the spirit of power is upon Jesus. He has the power to do what he desires to do. Now, you know, sometimes you want to help somebody or you want to get involved with something, but you feel like you're powerless to act. That happens to us on a regular basis. But guess what? It never happens to him. He has the spirit of might upon him, the spirit of power. So not only does he understand everything. Not only does he does he have the wisdom to comprehend it, but he now actually has the power to do something about it. This is the spirit of might that's upon him. The spirit of knowledge, he says. He, he knows everything. Again, it relates back to the other ones, but he knows our hearts. He knows our dreams. He knows our hearts. He, he knows. He has knowledge that we don't have. So, it's better to follow his decisions even if you don't understand them, even if they seem strange because he knows what he's doing. It's just that simple. He, he also says he will have the spirit. The, the seventh one is he will have the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, Jesus kept himself in a place of submission. He keeps himself in a place of respect and reverence and honor to the Father. And these are of course, not the only characteristics of the Holy Spirit, but they're grouped in seven for a reason. They're grouped in seven to show us that the fullness, that the completeness, that the, that the perfection of the Holy Spirit was upon him, that this little root, this little shoot, this new branch that was going to grow out of this dead stump was going to have the fullness and the full measure ...of the Spirit of God upon him. That's pretty cool. And he's saying this hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. So, Jesus lives as a man filled with the Spirit. The wisdom, the understanding, the counsel, the might, the knowledge, the fear of the Lord... ...they're all displayed in his life. uh, Verses 3 to 5. Have a look at this. Put this up for me. He will delight in obeying the Lord... He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. So he, he will delight in obeying the father. This branch, this new branch that will grow, he will bring justice to the world. He's going to delight in obeying the Father. He's going to bring righteousness and truth. In fact, it says righteousness and truth are so close to him, they're like a belt, they're like an undergarment that wraps around him, that everything he does, everything he says, every action he takes is touched and influenced by this righteousness and truth, that he is going to judge properly. He will make fair decisions and justice will be given to the poor, and justice will be given to the wicked, by the way. No one will be able to say, isn't it the mantra of the 21st century? That's not fair. That's just not fair. It, you want to throw your children out the window after they say that 85 times, right? Like, and, and, and then adults, I want to throw them out the window too sometimes. You know, I'm just joking. About it. It, but that's not fair. Yeah, but, he, but that's not fair. Well, and then what's your, well, life isn't fair. That's the classic answer, you know, meaning just get over it, suck it up, move on, you know, deal with it. But here's the thing, in that day, no one will be able to say, that's not fair. No one. For he will bring fairness, righteousness, truth to a whole new level that this world has never seen. And no one will be left with those words in their mouth. No one will be able to say that. For the branch will bring justice to the world. This branch will grow. He will bring justice. And and, and verses 6 to 9, it actually says that the branch will actually change the world. Um, look at verses 6 to 9. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat, the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear, and the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. Could you imagine? The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm, and nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for. As the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. When Jesus touches people, he is filled with the absolute, complete fullness of the Spirit. So when, people, when Jesus touches people, you see it again and again and again in his ministry. People are changed. One touch and disease leaves. One touch and legs are straightened. One touch and fever is removed. One touch and blind eyes are open. One touch. When Jesus touches people, they are changed. They are transformed. And the greater, the greater miracle is not the physical stuff. The greater, more eternal, lasting miracle is the transformation that he does on the inside of us. Amen? That we are changed from the inside because he has touched us. Somebody said amen. Amen. This is the truth of Jesus, right? He fixes what is broken. He, he, heals the, the, he heals what's sick. He changes lives. But these verses point to a time that is coming. That Some people refer to it as the millennial reign, but, but the time is coming when the Messiah will rule and reign, and even nature itself will be completely changed and transformed it's it's amazing paul refers to it actually in romans chapter 8 he says for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when god will reveal who his children really are against its will all creation was subjected to god's curse but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join god's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So you see, we're saying we, we want that day to come. Come, bring justice, bring transformation, change us, do your thing. But, but the Bible is saying even creation is longing for that day. Even nature calls out for it to be restored. It was subjected to the curse. It is not the way it should be. It is not the way it was meant to be. It is not the way it was originally designed. And it too longs to be free from its sin and decay. It's it's a powerful thing. Even nature is waiting for the change that will come when the Messiah rules and reigns with justice. Look. Look. I'm not sure how excited I am about this, but we're all going to be vegetarians. (laughs) So you vegan, vegetarian people, you got to jump on everybody else. Even the lion will lay down and eat hay with the lamb. Nature itself will be changed. That animals, plants, the world, creation will change. This branch is so powerful that when he grows and his full rule and reign is seen, he will change lives. Yes, he will change people, but he will change the world. Literally change the world. The earth Will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the reign of the Messiah, the word says, will be glorious. Those will be be good days. They will be glorious days. They will be wonderful days. Listen, children will be able to play with poisonous snakes and no one will be harmed. Child will lead lions and tigers like they're little tiny dogs. Things will be so different. Things that we understand to be natural and how nature functions and operates, everything will be flipped. He literally will change the world and how it operates. The rule and the reign of the Messiah will fill the earth. The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. The the glorious wonder will fill the earth. And this branch that grew out of this dead old stump will become the most powerful force that this world has ever seen. And he will literally change the world and he will change everything and everyone in it. This is the branch that grows out of the stump of David. The interesting part, and I'm not even going to... Uh, No, I'm not even going to say that, because I'm not even going to go long today, because we're going to eat, and this is how I feel we're going to go today. Are you happy, Vic? Yeah. There you go. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world in that day, and the nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, he will be a banner of salvation to the world that the banner is lifted high and it will be a rallying point for the world. He will be known. He will be seen. He will be obeyed for justice will come. He will rule and reign in a glorious way that even nature itself will be changed. This this root that grew from the stump was was meant for everyone. Everyone. And here's the thing that the Jewish people had to get over, that Jesus didn't come just for the Jews, that Peter had to learn it, the disciples had to learn it, as Paul taught them and was revealed as, as the great missionary to the Gentiles, that the, this good news, this root that was growing out of the stump of David didn't just come for the Jews, but he came for us too, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody said that's good. You know, he will be a banner of salvation for the world, the world. Whosoever will may come, right? Whosoever will may come and find salvation. Whosoever will may come to find eternal life. Whosoever will may come to find the glory and the redemption and the love, mercy joy, peace that the root of David will soon bring to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. It didn't just say he so loved the Jews. He didn't so love the Italians, although he does all you Italians. He didn't just love the Scottish, He didn't just love the English. God so loved the world, the world that he sent his son and this shoot was going to grow into a something powerful out of what looked like a dead old stump. So yes, at Christmas tree, or at Christmas time, I should say, we put up a tree. Put up a tree, get in the mood, have some fun with it. Now, some may be small, others may be big, like Greg Howe, if you wanna go that big Please do it and just call me. I'd like to just see it, not be involved with it. Yeah. But so at Christmas time, yes, we put up a tree. Others, you know, I was thinking some of our trees are going to be small. Some of our trees are going to be big. Um, some of our trees are going to be fake. How many have fake trees? How many still put up live tree? Yeah, you guys are hardcore. See, there you go. See, see. See, but either, here's the deal, right? If your tree is small or big, if your tree is fake or real, guess what? I'm going to drop you a big bombshell, you real tree people. Your tree's actually dead. <laughs> or it will be really soon. It's not going to survive. So, all of our trees that we put up at Christmas time, either fake or real, they're soon to be either dead and thrown out or put back in the box and shoved in the basement until next year. But Christmas time is a reminder to us all that there is another tree. There is a living tree that comes from God. This is the one tree that we want in our homes. This is the one tree that we want in our lives. We don't ever want to take this tree down. It's not fake and it will never die. He came to bring light to the darkness and to grow something new out of something that seemingly was old and dead. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was about 30 years old, and then he became a traveling preacher. He never wrote a book. He didn't hold political office. He never had a family. He never was married. He never even owned a home. He didn't go to college. He didn't travel more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of the things that we generally, uh, usually accompany with greatness. But that one life, that single shoot from the stump of David grew to be a large tree. And he has changed culture. He has changed history. And most importantly, he has changed us. He is The tree that grew out of the stump of David. So, listen, when you look at your Christmas tree, I'm just making this just popped into my, this may be an anointed thought. Here we go. When you look at your tree, think of Isaiah chapter 11. He is the tree. That grew out of the stump of David. And now this tree is so big, so powerful, so wonderful. That he has changed culture, he has changed history, he has changed our lives. And one day when his rule and reign will come in full glory, he will even change nature itself. He is the tree that we must have. He is the living root that we cannot ever Pull out, cut down, or throw away. He is forever and He must be in our lives. Somebody said, Amen. amen. This is the tree. He is the one. So listen at Christmas time. He's not just the cute little baby. It's a wonderful story, but He's mighty God. He's mighty God. Who one day will come. And flip this world upside down. And every eye will see. And every tongue will confess. That he is Lord. And he is glorious. And he is wonderful. And there is no one like him. And he was the one that started. This tiny little shoot. In obscurity. In the middle of nowhere. Out of a peasant woman. In a tiny little nothing town. And he grew with the fullness and the perfection of the spirit to change the world. We are part of the fruit that he has made. 2,000 plus years later, we are here attached to that tree. We are the fruit of his love. We are the fruit of his effort. We are the fruit of his sacrifice. He did it for us and he is God. Not just a baby, but mighty God. So listen, this Christmas time, when you look at your tree, think about the living tree that will one day change the world.